0: Good morning from me. Uh, my name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. There have been lots of people asking me, how do you, what are you going to do about not having enough seats left? And the obvious answer is you preach through Malachi. <laughs> so, uh, I expected to have the crowd from last week but uh, you people have disappointed me already. Um, There are lots of things to be thankful about when it comes to Australia, right? Um, The uh, the classic line that's used um, to describe Australia is we are the lucky country. We're the lucky country. There's the beaches, prosperity uh, of our our country, the culture and the locally produced TV shows. That was a joke. (laughs) This is like one of the worst TV shows going around, right? Married at first sight, the eleventh season just started it 's kind of like prearranged marriage as western style. You get matched with someone by experts, you get married, then by the end of the show, you work out whether you want to stay married or not um, at, at the uh, at the wedding you don 't really make any vows i don 't know whether you 've ever seen the vows that people make at these weddings they 're not really vows they 're kind of like uh, a short speech that says, "I hope this turns into something that 's kind of what the vows kind of are, and, uh, and that's what you say to the other person. You say, I hope this works out. Uh, then you go on a honeymoon, you sleep with each other a whole bunch of times, you have awkward conversations, which you should have had before you got married, and then you decide whether you want to actually stay married or not. From the beginning, it's been built as a social experiment. That's part of their their marketing. Uh, can two people find love, be married and live happily ever after and although that is the official storyline that actually gets trotted out it's been drowned out by another storyline and it's a very familiar storyline that you see uh, in reality tv shows and it's this one cheating cheating Uh, in all forms Uh, physically in terms of motivations Uh, For those who don't watch his show, that's the real storyline of maths, is cheating. Um, Who's going to turn on who? And it's not, as I said, it's not that much different to to most reality TV shows. In the current season, there's a guy, and you can see him on the top right there, who um, is 39, and he's gone on the show to supposedly find love, but he's got a tourism business. And so there's very serious questions being asked about him, about what his intentions are. Does he actually, is he actually on there for the person that he's connected with or he got connected with or is he on there just to get some publicity for his tourism business? It's a cheating thing. It's a cheating storyline. And then there's another guy and, and that's the guy, the first small photo down underneath that and he got stitched up or, or set up, I should say, not stitched up. He got set up with a, uh, a man. So it's a same-sex couple. And and what happens in the show is these guys are set up with one another and then one of them bails on the whole experiment um, before things even get going. And I'm not raising this to defend same-sex marriage. I have something to say about that later. Uh, But I want you to see that the main storyline in this show actually isn't marriage. It's actually cheating. It's, It's not. It's not love. It just isn't love. Now, when you're a preacher, you get to have an opinion. And I'm going to give you my opinion. I hate this show. I think it's a disgraceful show. That shouldn't be on TV. I think it does so much violence to marriage. Uh, And if I was writing the Bible, and it's a good thing that I'm not, I would have a rule in the Bible that Christians shouldn't watch Married at First Sight. But here's the really sad thing that I find, is that while I don't think this show is good in any way, I don't think that the way that it thinks about marriage is an anomaly. I don't, I don't think it's unusual. I, I actually think that the way that it talks about marriage is a logical extension of where we've gotten up to as a culture, isn't it? I mean, if, if marriage was a boxer in a ring... Marriage in our culture has been on its last legs for a long time, hasn't it? It's been staggering around. It has taken so many blows. It's taken blows from domestic abuse, from divorce rates, from de facto relationships, from sexual promiscuity. I mean, I I used to hear it um, when I was a teacher in a school, students would go, well, where does it say in the Bible that you can't have sex before... Marriage, and I remember a preacher years ago saying there 's a really important f word that you need to learn, and it 's fornication, <laughs> which is any sex that 's outside of marriage you know and, and in some ways, I kind of go, you know you know when there 's been like a, a a boxing thing, this is kind of the the joke or someone 's kind of been hit really hard and they 're reeling, and it 's almost like someone 's just got to come up and just go and then they fall over well maths is the i think for marriage in our culture um now believe it or not there is something in common between maths and malachi chapter two <laughs> right um and on the surface you go yeah it's, they're both about marriage right um but I want to say to you, Malachi 2, the section that we read, we're skipping the bit about priests, and priests got a good serve last week, so well, we're just going to skip that bit. The um, the bit in Malachi 2 that looks like it's about marriage actually isn't about marriage ultimately, it's actually about loyalty. But well, the biblical word for it is faithfulness, that's what it is. And who knows, that loyalty is in very short supply these days, isn't it? I mean, the classic term uh, that gets thrown around is people flip on people. They flip on them. You know, it's like you you hang with someone for a bit and then when it's not working for you, it's like you just flip. Um, What's loyalty? Well, loyalty, according to the dictionary, here's one definition, is a faithfulness that is steadfast in the face of any temptation to renounce, desert or betray. All right? Here's another way of putting loyalty. Loyalty or faithfulness is consistency of allegiance. That's what it is. Consistency of allegiance. Uh, I, I really like that. Another, another word that comes out of the idea of faithfulness and unfaithfulness in Malachi chapter 2 is, is the word, word treacherous. You know, a treacherous person is an unfaithful person. A treacherous something when something's treacherous there's there's a hidden danger that you don't know about that's what's going on there uh, you, you could talk about treacherous waters in ter- in a boating sense they are treacherous waters what are you saying when when you're saying they're treacherous waters you're saying they they look fine but there's a hidden danger in underneath we don't want to be people like that do we is down with me on that We don't want to be treacherous people Here's the, um, the preamble for, um, for Malachi, for this section uh, in Malachi chapter 2. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? It's not talking about marriage, folks. It just isn't. Uh, there's one Father, there's one Creator, and people are being disloyal and unfaithful to each other. They're flipping on one another. They're cheating on one another. You know, when, when you turn on one another, when you are disloyal to one another, when you give your word and your marriage and your business dealings and you don't follow through on it and you flip on it, you're actually doing damage to the special relationship between God and His people. We, we don't want to be like that with each other, do we? And, and then Malachi goes on and gets really specific about loyalty in the context of marriage. And so today, we're going to look at three things. Um, First first thing we're going to look at is, is getting married, and the second thing is marriage, and the third thing is, is being married. Now, before I start, I just want you to know that I have thought long and hard about this this week, and uh, you, you just cannot preach about something like this without raising up a whole bunch of things that go on all right um and i i I just want you to know that by preaching about this that for for a bunch of you uh it's going to take you back to a failure point all right and if it doesn't take you back to a failure point it's going to take you back to a pain point you know and and probably as we go through you're going to have moments where you go why do we have to talk about this i shouldn't have come to church today but I, I just, I want to submit this to you. God has a way of taking us back to the pain and the failure points as part of the restorative work that he does, all right? And so I, I, I'm appealing to you to be patient and to listen to, listen to what God has to say today, um, You know, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household and then he killed an Egyptian and then he's in the wilderness for 40 years. He comes up to a bush that's burning, that's not being consumed and it's God and he tells Moses, you need to go back where? To Egypt. So what the? Are we doing that? We're going back to Egypt again? You know, you know the stories, many of you know the stories of Peter's denial of Jesus. Where was Peter when he denied Jesus? Well, he's standing next to a charcoal fire, the text says. What happens in John chapter 21 is that Jesus is on the beach. He's created a charcoal fire, and the text says that. Peter's fishing. He gets out of the boat, comes to Jesus, and Jesus asks him how many times if he loves him. How many? Three. You see that? Sometimes God will take you right back into the middle of a failure point, of a pain point. To restore you. The other thing I would say is this: this is my little couple of caveats. The other thing I would say is this: um, what would be worse than me being clear about what Scripture teaches is for all of us to be unclear about this, these matters, wouldn't it? That would be worse, because uh, we we believe in a good God. And we believe that what he says is truly good. And so, I would just encourage you to to listen to him. Here's the first one, getting married. Malachi 2 verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Now, on on the surface, you look at this and you go, this is an interracial marriage problem. And interracial marriage was actually frowned upon. Um, for the Israelites but I I want to be clear with you that this is not actually what's going on because there were interracial marriages that happened in the Old Testament that were okay and one of them a very a classic one was between Ruth and Boaz and Boaz was an Israelite and Ruth was Ruth was a Moabitess I mean you may not have noticed but when the Israelites come out of Egypt a whole bunch of other peoples came out with the Israelites as well And what it does, and in particular, Ruth and Boaz help us to understand what's going on here with with what Malachi is saying, is, is, is Malachi's emphasis isn't on the interracial nature of things, it's actually on someone who's got an allegiance to a false god. Now, Ruth had forsaken Chemosh to follow the Lord. We know this in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, Ruth replied, "'Your people will be my people and your God my God.'" The Israelites that came, sorry, the the non-Israelites that came out with Israel out of Egypt aligned themselves to the Lord, and, and there were ways and means to actually become part of Israel in some way, and and if you're a bloke, you had to be pretty serious, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? There were there were just ways to do that, and so so the issue here is is, is not that Malachi is pointing out there's an interracial problem. The issue here is that These men in Israel are marrying women who worship a foreign god. Why is this an issue? Because what you're doing when you get married is you're becoming one flesh with someone who has a fundamentally different allegiance to you. What's the normal outcome? Well, we see it with Solomon and Solomon got a lot of things wrong, right? He was a really wise guy who was also really stupid and you seem to know both of those things can run side by side with people, right? You can be really wise one moment and really dumb another moment. Alright. But here's what's said about uh, King Solomon. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Now, I want you to notice something. There is a pragmatic reason why the Israelites weren't to marry someone who worshipped a foreign god. This is the pragmatic reason, is you get drawn away but i want you to see something um, from malachi chapter 2 verse 11 is malachi is not saying there's a pragmatic reason for not marrying a woman who worships a foreign god there's an unfaithfulness to god reason for doing that there's a disloyalty to god when you marry someone who worships a false god a foreign god how well here's the bottom line (laughs) If you are joined to God and you become one flesh with someone who isn't, then in some way you are joining God with a false god. Now, Paul talks about this kind of thing in, uh, in Corinthians. You know, that It's a similar kind of vibe in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He says never. You'd never do that. To be loyal to God is not to join yourself to someone who doesn't love him. This is what it was for the, the Israelites. So, I want to bring it into our day. Because the obvious question is going to be, um, can you marry a non-Christian? All right? You know, it's, I mean, on the surface, it's like, you know, are we only barred from marrying someone who worships a different god does it even carry over into the new testament or is this just an old testament israelite kind of thing and and let me just start with this and say there is no such thing as a non-religious person every single person is religious every single person worships unceasingly you're always sending your life on something um People who aren't Christians, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you worship every bit as much as we do. You just worship a different God. You set her on something else. Something's in the center for you. You serve it. You love it. You sacrifice for it. You're doing all the kinds of things that we aspire to do in the church, but it's just not God. It's an idol. It's not a true God. Um, and here's the bottom line. If you're a Christian, if you're truly saved... One of the realities about you is your fundamental allegiance is to God. So even if you have moments where you go off and you worship other gods, the the pattern in your life, the normative pattern in your life is to come back to the worship of God. That's normal. So I'm just taking that one out of play, right? Where you just go, oh, I'm not going to marry a Buddhist or something. I mean, they don't actually formally believe that a God exists, um, a Muslim. We can talk about that later if you want to talk about that. So, <laughs> the issue, I think, is, as uh, Scripture says, is, is uh, much broader than just people who worship foreign gods. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians that, that has a very tight connection to what Malachi is saying, and it's in 2 Corinthians 6:14 to 16 Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what can righteousness and wickedness have in common? And the is rhetorical. It's a rhetorical question. The answer's like nothing. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Nothing. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, I've heard people do all sorts of things with this passage, right? And they go, "Well, oh, it's not really talking about marriage. It could be talking about other relationships and arrangements that you have and all that sort of stuff. Right, and I don't, I don't, re- I just don't like the arguments. That's the bottom line. I think they're bad arguments, but I don't want to do that here because we just don't have enough time. Because I preached for long enough anyway, right? Anyone anyway, give me an amen? Excellent. That was enthusiastic. But there is a section in 1 Corinthians 7 which makes it explicitly clear what I'm talking about, and we don't have to have a debate about it. And here it is here it's about wives who have been widowed because their husbands have died. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must, read that out, belong to the Lord. Right? There it is. What's the rule? You don't marry someone who's not a Christian. It's bottom line. It's very straightforward. You know, and, and like some of you might even come up to me and go, I. I, and I've had this before, right, I know someone who actually married a non-Christian, you know, and I'm not even going to go into this, but God told them to I'm like, dude, like, here's, here's the bottom line, someone's going to come up to me and say, yeah, didn't God tell Hosea to marry a prostitute? It's like, you're not playing the Hosea card on me, right? Probably one guy in the whole of human history gets to play that card, and it's already played, you don't have it, all right? you know someone people have said to me someone's going to come and they go i knew someone who was a christian and then they married someone who wasn't a christian and then the the non-christian became a christian and it all worked out and i i would say to you it is so awesome that the person became a christian without hesitation but they were disobedient when they married them Folks, the ends, when God said something clearly and he says something clearly here, the ends do not justify the means. If someone marries a non-Christian and joins themselves to someone who worships a foreign God, they are being unfaithful to God. That's what Malachi is saying. And I think that's what Paul's saying. You see, many of us would counsel people like that and just go that's not going to go well for you (laughs) and it is true there are pragmatic reasons why you shouldn't do it but that's not the only reason and it's not even the main reason the main reason is that you want to be loyal to god and so here's here's the bottom line if you're here today if you're if you're youth and you're still listening God has a direct and active interest in the person that you marry, right? He's actively interested in that. And, and I, I do not mean God told me that I'm going to marry this person, right? Um, I'll be patient with you, but underneath, um, I will be screaming if you come up and say things like that to me all right do you know why because most of the people that have come up and said that to me didn't marry the person they said god told them to marry that's not the kind of interest that god has in your marriage all right now i'm not saying some of you are going oh yeah but can't god lead you and all that sort of stuff yes 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 He can all right but um love can be a little cloudy sometimes right in terms of the way that you think about things so we just want to be a little bit careful with that you can come and tell me that if you want to say it. i'm not going to rebuke you um, but i will struggle underneath because of how how many people have come up and said that and just how messy it gets here's the bottom line if you're a christian you should only marry another christian to do otherwise is disobedience and unfaithfulness to god And here's the thing I'm not saying. I am not saying that marrying another Christian guarantees that you're going to get a good marriage. I'm not saying that. That's a whole different conversation at that point. You're not going to be just fine just because you married a Christian. I've heard people say that before. It's like, marry a Christian and it'll be okay. It's like, man, there is a whole whole bunch more going on in marriage than just marrying someone who loves Jesus. But your starting point is not marrying a non-Christian. That's your starting point. Uh, your starting point is marrying a Christian. Now, someone's going to say to me, and maybe even some of you who are single now, um, or youth are thinking, can you date a non-Christian? right? And I would say, why would you do that? Why, why would you do that? What would the point of that be? Why would you get on the on-ramp to marriage if you're not going to go through with it? doesn't make any sense it just to me it seems like you're just putting yourself in a position where you're tempted to be disloyal to the lord and you'll create a whole bunch of trouble later on that might be enough for now maybe we need to have an mission where people can leave if they want to leave that's getting married second one is is marriage Got your bibles open we're we're looking at the section here between verse 13 to 15 you know what's going on here um it it looks like what's going on is israelite men are ditching their older wives for younger models who follow a false god that's what it looks like i mean the the phrase that keeps kind of popping up through this section is the wife of your youth Uh, that's kind of the phrase so so what we've got here and, and this is the first point today the first The first problem going on is that uh, people are marrying, uh, men are marrying women who worship a foreign God. The second problem we've got is that they're ditching their older wives to marry women who are worshipping a foreign God. Um, The second problem is divorce. That's what it is. And uh, I... I challenge you to find a stronger passage in Scripture that speaks about divorce in this one. So what's going on is these men are ditching their older wives, getting a new model that worships a foreign god and then they're going to to the temple and offering sacrifices and offerings to God and God's not paying any attention, and they're actually crying about it, and they're upset about it, and they're devastated about the fact that God actually won't pay attention to their offerings. You know, the the central part of all of this is the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant this is how it works with marriages. Um, God witnesses the forming of the covenant between uh, you and your spouse if you're married. Uh, Jesus is very clear, and we'll get to it in a minute, that it's actually Jesus who joined you uh, and your, your spouse together. Um, and so when I run ceremonies as a uh, wedding celebrant, one of the things that I do is I get the bride and the groom to make vows to me as God's representative because he's there and he's the one that's actually joining them and so today I'm just going to show you what I think are the pick of marriage vows that I use in weddings just for you to be refreshed about um, what marriage vows are and what's going on in a marriage here's the vows that I would get um, people who are getting married to make to me as God's representative such and such will you have such and such to be your wedded wife there's a, slightly, uh, um, a slight variation on these vows for the wife, but I've only put the husband one in because Malachi is talking to the husband. So, um, But it holds true for wives as well. To be a wedded wife, to live together under the headship of Jesus Christ so that your marriage will always be Christ-centered. Do you promise to love? See, this, this, is, this is vows, right? This is not talking about feelings. This is vows. Do you promise to love? Comfort and cherish her. Serve, honour and respect her. Look after and strengthen her always, forsaking all others as long as you both shall live. Then I'll get the, the uh, husband and wife to make vows to each other. This is um, one of the better ones, I think. In the presence of God... And before all who are gathered here today, I, such and such, the husband, take you, such and such, the wife, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live, acknowledging that it is God who unites us as one in the richness of his grace." I accept the responsibility to be the head of our home and to seek God's wisdom to establish his order in our home so that his blessing will bring the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. I commit to recognising and supporting God's calling on your life. This is my solemn vow and promise. I stand here and publicly declare that I love you. Now, that's a weighty thing, isn't it? That's a weighty thing. Um we'll get to this a bit later, but a little later. Not later, hopefully. Uh how are you going with that if you're married. Now, I started with uh with marriage at first sight, married at first sight. Um you know, you know what that show tells you is that our culture doesn't really see it like this. Right? Um now I, I've been involved with some people who have gone through separation and divorce. Uh, quite a number of people. And I, I am well aware of how difficult it is. And I understand that no one does it for fun. All right? It is just not a fun thing to do. But there is a way that our culture gets a bit out of step with what God says about what marriage is. Right? And, and you kind of hear this sometimes, don't you? I mean, you've heard this. I've heard this. It's kind of like if your marriage is not working for you, then you can opt out. And it's just not the way that God thinks about it. There's a, um, a classic passage where um, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and it was on this very point of divorce. Uh, They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. That's important. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what Jesus does here pretty quickly is he answers their question but he clarifies what marriage is first and here's what marriage is according to Jesus. We need to hear this not necessarily because we've got a big problem with it. I mean I I was talking with some people this week about this series in Malachi and and um, I said to them, you know, it's not that God's saying these things through Malachi to us in our time and place, because we're in exactly the same place as the Israelites, but he might just be saying to us, just like, sit up. <laughs> you know, you're fundamentally sitting in the right place, but you're slouching, right? Just just sit up a bit, you know? And uh, if you're anything like me, and 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 people other people in the church, then you know that what can happen when you're living in a culture is you actually start to absorb some stuff that's going on in the culture. So Jesus says here that marriage, just to be really, really clear, marriage is between a male and a female. Like, let's just start there, right? It's not between two men and it's not between two women. That's not marriage, according to Jesus. The second thing he says is that marriage is a union between two people who become one flesh. It's not two individuals who enter into an agreement with one another. It's actually two people that become one flesh together. The other thing Jesus makes clear is that it's a covenant. It's a covenant that that has been formed with God as witness and God actually making it to happen so the pharisees as they often did and you follow up with some questions about this right because it didn't quite get him the way they wanted to get him and so they ask why then they asked did moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away now there was a, such a thing in the old testament but moses never commanded right and i'll get to it in a minute there was there was a there was a particular vibe to what was going on because it was actually about the protection of the wife right because if there wasn't a certificate of divorce the husband could retain control of the wife whilst not supporting her and not helping her jesus replied moses forbidden you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning i tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery Here's, here's the bottom line, and this is, I don't know whether what goes on in our culture has gotten into your head a little bit, but but here's, here's how I think Jesus here and Scripture speaks about divorce. Divorce is not an option, it's a concession, all right? Um, you don't go, oh, if it doesn't work out, I can just opt out, like that. That's not thinking about it the way that Scripture talks about it. It's a concession. And why is it a concession? Because of people's hard hearts. Now, you are going to have a billion questions right now, some of you. Uh, and I would love to have a conversation with you later on about this. Um because I think there's a lot of good questions about this, but I just I just want to make a couple of statements about some things to hopefully um, s- stop some of the blood loss between now and when you come and bail me up at the end. In fact, uh, you are welcome to go and talk to the elders instead of me uh, or any of the other pastors in the place. So, But let me say this. There are many times where a spouse can operate in ways that are not compatible with the life of the relationship, right? One of them is mentioned by Jesus. When you commit adultery, you, you, break, you break the covenant that you made with your spouse, right? And, and in a sense, you kind of stab your relationship. You, you kill it. And the only one who can keep that relationship alive for a good period of time is is the one who was sinned against. If they decide it's done, you're, you're done. You can put that thing, that relationship, in a coffin, and, and you're done. That's that's kind of the end of the section. And Jesus, Jesus makes room for that. But there are there are actually other ways that people can operate that attack right at the heart of what the relationship actually is Um, and and it can be incompatible with the life of the relationship so i want to just say to you without going into lots of details uh, we actually do have a marriage and divorce paper uh, on our website which you can go to and read about where we stand on things but you just need to know from my point of view that there are actually other reasons why someone might separate or divorce other than sexual immorality. Now, having said that, I want you to know that the discussion about divorce and remarriage are actually two separate discussions that are connected to each other. So you just just be aware of that. Uh, there's a lot more to say about that, which I'm not going to go into, and I'm sure that you'd love me. To right now, is anyone anyone like me to digress for like forty minutes? Because I'm not going to. You'll be disappointed. Um, sorry, I don't mean to be rude. Please come and talk with me. Talk with one of the elders. Um, read our position paper on a, on our website. Um, it's a worthy discussion. Just beyond today. So we're uh, getting married, uh, marriage, and here's where I want to finish. Being married. want to address something that I think is can be quite an oversight in the church and and here's here's the bottom line the church has done well in a sense with kind of hammering out the covenant of marriage and the importance of marriage and uh, where divorce kind of sits on that and that's a good thing as far as it goes but I'll tell you something in my view the church has not spoken even near to being close enough about what a healthy relationship looks like in a marriage it's kind of like they bang on all the time about you've got to stay married you've got to stay married because marriage is really really important and they don't bang on enough about what a healthy marriage relationship actually looks like at least in my view you know you can have lots of dysfunctional marriages in the church and the church doesn't always address them that would be my observation they don't always address the dysfunctionality of it they kind of just stand there and say you've got to stay married and so what you end up with is you end up with a couple of people who legally are married, but they're functionally separated. That's actually what happens. And I just want to say to you, that that is not what we're aiming for in this church. We are not aiming for that. We would not consider it a win, it a win to have two people stay legally married but functionally separated. That is, that is not what we're after. We want people to stay married and have a healthy marriage relationship that's that's what we want you know and I think if you look at Malachi chapter 2 you can actually see a couple of little indicators of what the nature of the relationship is meant to be between a husband and a wife and so I just I kind of want to finish this morning my last point this morning is just finishing on what should it look like what are we aiming for well here's the first one in verse 14, she, she's your partner. Now, I, I don't really like the term partner, right? It's only because you have a business partner, you have a golfing partner, you could have a dancing partner. I don't think it actually says that much about much. It's, it's a pretty nondescript term. But you know, a lot of other translations translate the Hebrew word that the NIV translates as partner, they translate it as companion. And I'm down for companion. I'm down for companion big time. And you know what's interesting about the term, the Hebrew word here that's applied to marriage is nowhere else in the Old Testament is that word actually related to marriage. It's actually friendship everywhere else. It talks about friendship between people with shared interests. And and what's Malachi doing? What's God doing through Malachi? I think what he's doing is he's saying, you know what your shared interest is? Your shared interest—the center of it—is that you both love God. And then, what do you do? Your companions, your friends. So here's here's a few uh, a few questions. Um, would you call your spouse your friend? Are they your friend? Do you, you walk through stuff together? And It, it takes time to get there. And, and things can happen along the way which you need to work through. And you'll need to work on it. But this is one of the things that we're aiming for. You with me? Companion. Companion and friend. Sounds good. That sounds good. Here's the other one uh, that kind of pops up um, in Malachi 2.16 which which tells us a little bit about the nature of how marriage is meant to roll. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel listen to this, does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord God Almighty says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Here's Here's the bottom line, Um, and I just want to say this to husbands. If you're a husband, I want you to hear me. You are not meant to do violence to your wife. You are meant to protect her. Now, the violence that Malachi is talking about here is the violence of divorce. But there are other ways that husbands can do violence to their wives. Many of you would know that I'm a a registered counsellor. And um, immediately after I finished my counselling and got registered, my counselling training and got registered, I had an individual and a couple, which to this day are the hardest individual and couple I've ever had to counsel. And uh, I got I got to the end of these two counselling um, journeys with these people, and just found, oh no, I just I I can't counsel. <laughs> I can't I can't do this thing. Um, they. They were tough. They were really tough, and and I remember this particular day, the first couple that I had done marriage counselling with. Um, you know, we'd had this. We we were uh, renting some offices off another church in town, and and we'd had this. I'd had this uh, marriage counselling session with this couple, and um, uh, the quickest way to to put it um, was it. These this couple was in such intense conflict with one another. You could go from everything being calm to an, an explosion in about 10 seconds, and um, I don't know whether you've ever kind of been in that kind of situation before, but it's it's, it's exhausting. It's really exhausting, and uh, you, you just got to stay on on kind of on top of things, and you don't want people to hurt each other. But that's kind of what's going on in the room, and so this went this went for an hour, um, and and then I I walked out of the the door of the room. The couple left. I didn't disclose anything about what was said in the room, but the lead pastor of the church that we were running the offices from, um, he he, could, he knew the couple that went in and out. He he knew of them, and he knew a little bit of their background. And I came out. I think I probably looked pretty dishevelled at that point in time. Just going, oh man, like I just need to, I don't know, lie in a salt bath or something for a while, or I don't know, um, and and. He said something to me which has always stuck with me. He he, he said this to me. He said, the only time that a man can blame someone else for his wife not flourishing is in the first two to three years of marriage. He said, at that time, he might, he might be able to blame her family, or her father, or someone else. But he said, once that time's gone, he said, the responsibility and the fault for that wife not flourishing is actually the husband. I think that's that's the measure that you can see here. And I, I just want to say to you husbands today, you can tell when a wife is being well loved by her husband. You can tell. A husband is meant to protect his wife, not do violence to her by divorcing her. His love for her, when it's done well, will cause her to flourish. Now, stuff happens. I know that stuff happens. But let me ask you husbands a few questions. Here's the first one. Is your wife flourishing? Is she? And here's husbands. Maybe you should ask her when you get home. And here's another one. If your wife isn't flourishing, husbands, why isn't she? Are you doing violence to her when you should be protecting her? And Some of you go, well, it's not my fault that she's not foresting. I just go, okay, I don't really care that much whether it's your fault i think it matters if you're doing stuff that is actually hurting her and doing violence to her so it does matter in that sense but it doesn't actually change things much for you because whether it's your fault that she's not flourishing or it's someone else's fault it's still your responsibility do you hear me it just is and i would say to you if you are doing things that are doing violence to her you need to stop doing those things And then, after that, you're going to have to work out how God's going to use you to actually bring about healing to your wife in the places where you've hurt her. All right, I'm going to finish. Are you okay? I hope that's been clear. I hope there's been some helpful things. I want to to finish with this question here. Why does God want us to be loyal and faithful people? So we started, right? Now some of you go, because it's good. And I go, yes, it is. And uh, I, I think totally. But but I think there's a better reason than that. Um, do you know why God wants you to be loyal and faithful people in everything? Because he is. Because he is. He, he wants you to be like him. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Listen to this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Your instincts are right when you watch reality TV. Most people in our culture's instincts are right when they watch reality TV and they, and they watch this storyline of people who cheat, people who are disloyal. We have, we have names for people who do that, don't we? Like, here's, here's four. for Low life. Uh, euphemistically people say that is a dog act a dog act is where you're disloyal a backstabber this is one that doesn't get as much usage but you probably would have heard of it before you call saying that person's a rat they're a rat what what are all these names communicating i want you to hear me on this that it's less than truly human to be disloyal. That's what they say. And we all know it. <laughs> That's why we call people lowlice. It's why we say it's a dog act, because it's only something a dog would do. That's why we call people a rat. Folks, to be truly human is to be faithful and loyal, and we all know it, don't we? We all know it. Why? Because God's like it and He's made us to be image bearers of His. We're meant to be like Him. That's what we're meant to be. And and I'm not saying all of this because we're a chronically disloyal people. I'm just saying let's be even more loyal. <laughs> let's be even more human. Let's not be rats or dogs or lowlifes. The world doesn't need any more of those. I if the band could come up i'll uh, I'll pray and uh and we'll finish. Do you mind standing with me as i pray I really um really hope it didn't come across harsh I hope it came across clear not harsh because um, I uh, I love you and I care about you and uh, I will have as many conversations as I need to have um, so please come and talk to me, talk to one of the elders uh, talk to Peter who is up here, These these are hard things but they're really important things mm. And um, it's good for us to hear clearly what God what God says. Let's pray. God I want to start by. Um, just giving a moment to uh, to husbands this morning. There's not one husband in this place who hasn't done violence to the one that they should protect. And husbands, I just... Um, it's in your heart to do what I just want to give you. Just 30 seconds to... say uh, say sorry to the Lord for that. Ask for His forgiveness. Ask for... restoration of your lot of your wife in the areas where you've done violence to her. Would you do that now. Jesus we are um, as the psalmist put it we, are, we, we, we you're helping us but we have moments where we are untrustworthy like a deceitful bow weapon just doesn't fire where you'd mean to fire it uh, it doesn't go straight And it means the world to us that uh, in every one of our moments that you are faithful to us. There's no one who teaches us more about how to be faithful than you. And we want to see it more clearly. We want to lay hold of it more deeply. We, um, we want to be changed and made to be more faithful, loyal people by contemplating that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen.